Part 16 of The Naval War of 1812 by Theodore Roosevelt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 16. The American force consisted of the ship Saratoga, Captain T. McDonough, of about 734 tons, footnote, in the Naval Archives, Master's Commandant Letters, 1814, Volume 1, Number 134 is a letter from McDonough in which he states that the Saratoga is intermediate in size between the Pike of 875 and the Madison of 593 tons. This would make her 734. The Eagle was very nearly the size of the Lawrence or Niagara on Lake Erie. The Ticonderoga was originally a small steamer, but Commodore McDonough had her schooner rigged because he found that her machinery got out of order on almost every trip that he took. Her tonnage is only approximately known, but she was of the same size as the Lynette, end of footnote, carrying eight long twenty-four pounders, six forty-two pound, and twelve thirty-two pound carronades. The Brig Eagle Captain Robert Henley of about five hundred tons, carrying eight long eighteens and twelve thirty-two pound carronades. Schooner Ticonderoga, Lieutenant Commander Stephen Cason of about three hundred fifty tons, carrying eight long twelve pounders, four long eighteen pounders and five thirty-two pound carronades. Sloop Preble, Lieutenant Charles Budd of about eighty tons, mounting seven long nines. The row galleys Boxer, Centipede, Nettle, Allen, Viper, and Burrows, each of about seventy tons, and mounting one long twenty-four and one short eighteen-pounder. And the row galleys Wilmer, Ludlow, Alwyn, and Ballard, each of about forty tons, and mounting one long twelve. James puts down the number of men on board the squadron as 950, merely a guess as he gives no authority. Cooper says about 850 men, including officers, and a small detachment of soldiers to act as marines. Lossing, page 866, note 1, says 882 in all. Volume 14 of the American State Papers contains on page 572 the prize money list presented by the purser george beale jr this numbers the men the dead being represented by their heirs or executors up to 915 including soldiers and seamen but many of the numbers are omitted probably owing to the fact that their owners though belonging on board happened to be absent on shore or in the hospital so that the actual number of names tallies very closely with that given by lossing and accordingly i shall take that footnote in the naval archives are numerous letters from mcdonough in which he states continually that as fast as they arrive he substitutes sailors for the soldiers with which the vessels were originally manned. Men were continually being set ashore on account of sickness. 
in the bureau of navigation is the logbook of sloop of war surprise captain robert henley surprise was the name the eagle originally went by it mentions from time to time that men were buried and sent ashore to the hospital five being sent ashore on september second and finally mentions that the places of the absent were partially filled by a draft of twenty-one soldiers to act as marines the notes on the day of battle are very brief and a footnote the total number of men in the galleys including a number of soldiers as there were not enough sailors was three hundred fifty the exact proportions in which this force was distributed among the gunboats cannot be told but it may be roughly said to be forty-one in each large galley and twenty-six in each small one the complement of the saratoga was two hundred ten of the eagle one hundred thirty of the ticonderoga one hundred and of the preble thirty but the first three had also a few soldiers distributed between them the following list is probably pretty accurate as to the aggregate but there may have been a score or two fewer men on the gunboats or more on the larger vessels macdonough's force the saratoga seven hundred and thirty four tons two hundred and forty crew four hundred fourteen pounds of broadside ninety six pounds of metal from long guns and three hundred and eighteen pounds from short guns the eagle five hundred tons one hundred and fifty crew two hundred and sixty four pounds of broadside metal seventy two pounds from long guns one hundred ninety two from short guns ticonderoga three hundred and fifty tons one hundred and twelve crew one hundred and eighty pounds of broadside metal eighty four pounds from long guns and ninety six pounds from short guns the preble eighty tons thirty crew thirty six pounds of broadside metal thirty six pounds from long guns six gunboats four hundred and twenty tons two hundred and forty six crew two hundred and fifty two pounds of broadside metal one hundred and forty four pounds from long guns one hundred and eight pounds from short guns four gunboats one hundred and sixty tons one hundred and four crew forty eight pounds of broadside metal forty eight pounds from long guns in all fourteen vessels of two thousand two hundred and forty four tons and eight hundred and eighty two men with eighty six guns throwing at a broadside one thousand one hundred ninety four pounds of shot four hundred and eighty from long and seven hundred and fourteen from short guns the force of the british squadron in guns and ships is known accurately as most of it was captured the confiance rated for years in our lists as a frigate of the class of the constellation congress and macedonian she was thus of over twelve hundred tons cooper says more nearly double the tonnage of the saratoga she carried on her main deck thirty long twenty-fours fifteen in each broadside she did not have a complete spar deck on her poop which came forward to the mizzenmast were two thirty-two pound or possibly forty-two pound carronades and on her spacious top-gallant forecastle 
were four thirty-two or forty-two pound carronades and a long twenty-four on a pivot footnote this is her armament as given by cooper on the authority of lieutenant e a f lavalette who was in charge of her for three months and went aboard her ten minutes after the linnet struck End of footnote. she had aboard her a furnace for heating shot eight or ten of which heated shot were found with the furnace footnote james stigmatizes the statement of commodore macdonough about the furnace as as gross a falsehood as ever was uttered but he gives no authority for the denial and it appears to have been merely an ebullition of spleen on his part every american officer who went aboard the confiance saw the furnace and the hot shot and a footnote this was of course a perfectly legitimate advantage the linette captain daniel pring was a brig of the same size as the ticonderoga mounting sixteen long twelves the chubb and finch lieutenants james mcgee and william hicks were formerly the american sloops growler and eagle of one hundred twelve and one hundred ten tons respectively the former mounted ten eighteen-pound carronades and one long six the latter six eighteen-pound carronades four long sixes and one short eighteen there were twelve gunboats footnote letter of general george prevost september eleventh eighteen fourteen all the american accounts say thirteen the british official account had best be taken james says only ten but gives no authority he appears to have been entirely ignorant of all things connected with this action five of these were large of about seventy tons each three mounted a long twenty-four and a thirty-two pound carronade each one mounted a long eighteen and a thirty-two pound carronade one a long eighteen and a short eighteen seven were smaller of about forty tons each three of these carried each a long eighteen and four carried each a thirty-two pound carronade there is greater difficulty in finding out the number of men in the british fleet american historians are unanimous in stating it at from one thousand to eleven hundred british historians never do anything but copy james blindly midshipman leah of the confiance in a letter already quoted published in the london naval chronicle volume thirty two page two hundred ninety two gives her crew as three hundred but more than this amount of dead and prisoners were taken out of her the number given her by commander ward in his naval tactics is probably nearest right three hundred twenty five footnote james gives her but two hundred seventy men without stating his authority and a footnote the linette had about one hundred twenty five men and the chubb and finch about fifty men each according to admiral paulding given by lossing in his field book of the war of eighteen twelve page eight hundred sixty eight their gunboats averaged 
fifty men each. This is probably true, as they were manned largely by soldiers, any number of whom could be spared from Sir George Prevost's great army. But it may be best to consider the large ones as having forty-one, and the small twenty-six men, which were the complements of the American gunboats of the same sizes. The following, then, is the force of Downey's squadron. Confiance, twelve hundred tons, three hundred twenty-five crew, four hundred eighty pounds of broadside metal, three hundred eighty-four pounds from long guns, and ninety-six pounds from short guns. The Lynette, three hundred and fifty tons, one hundred and twenty-five crew, ninety-six pounds of broadside metal, ninety-six pounds from long guns. Chubb, a hundred and twelve tons, fifty crew, ninety-six pounds of broadside metal, six pounds from long guns, ninety pounds from short guns. The Finch, one hundred and ten tons, fifty crew, eighty-four pounds of broadside metal, twelve pounds from long guns, seventy-two pounds from short guns. Five gunboats, three hundred and fifty tons, two hundred and five crew, two hundred and fifty-four pounds of broadside metal, twelve pounds from long guns, seventy-two pounds from short guns. Seven gunboats, two hundred and eighty tons, one hundred and eighty-two crew, one hundred and eighty-two pounds of broadside metal, fifty-four pounds from long guns, one hundred twenty-eight pounds from short guns. In all, sixteen vessels of about two thousand four hundred and two tons, with nine hundred and thirty-seven men. Footnote: About there were probably more rather than less. End of footnote and a total of ninety-two guns, throwing at a broadside one thousand one hundred ninety-two pounds, six hundred and sixty from long and five hundred thirty-two from short pieces. These are widely different from the figures that appear in the pages of most British historians, from Sir Archibald Allison down and up. Thus in the History of the British Navy by C. D. Young, already quoted, it is said that on Lake Champlain our, the British, force was manifestly and vastly inferior. There, the American, broadside, outweighing ours in more than the proportion of three to two, while the difference in their tonnage and in the number of their crew was still more in their favor. None of these historians, or quasi-historians, have made the faintest effort to find out the facts for themselves, following James's figures with blind reliance, and, accordingly, it is only necessary to discuss the latter. This reputable gentleman ends his account, Naval Occurrences, page 424, by remarking that MacDonough wrote as he did because he knew that nothing would stamp a falsehood with currency equal to a pious expression, his falsehoods equaling in number the lines of his letter. These remarks are interesting, as showing the unbiased and truthful character of the author, rather than for any particular weight they will have in influencing anyone's judgment on Commodore McDonough. James gives the engaged force of the British as eight vessels of 
1,426 tons with 537 men and throwing 765 pounds of shot. To reduce the force down to this, he first excludes the Finch because she grounded opposite on an American battery before the engagement commenced, which reads especially well in connection with Captain Pring's official letter. Lieutenant Hicks of the Finch had the mortification to strike on a reef of rocks to the eastward of Crab Island about the middle of the engagement. Footnote. The italics are mine. The letter is given in full in the Naval Chronicle. End of footnote. What James means cannot be imagined. No stretch of language will convert about the middle of into before. The finch struck on the reef in consequence of having been disabled and rendered helpless by the fire from the Ticonderoga. Adding her force to James's statement, counting her crew only as he gives it, we get nine vessels, 1,536 tons, 577 men, 849 pounds of shot. James also excludes five gunboats because they ran away almost as soon as the action commenced volume six page five hundred and one this assertion is by no means equivalent to the statement in captain pring's letter that the flotilla of gunboats had abandoned the object assigned to them and if it was it would not warrant his excluding the five gunboats their flight may have been disgraceful but they formed part of the attacking force nevertheless almost any general could say that he had won against superior numbers if he refused to count in any of his own men whom he suspected of behaving badly james gives his ten gunboats two hundred ninety four men and thirteen guns two long twenty fours five long eighteen six thirty two pound carronades and makes them average forty five tons Adding on the five he leaves out, we get fourteen vessels of 1,761 tons with 714 men throwing in a broadside 1,025 pounds of shot, 591 from long guns, 434 from carronades. But Sir George Prevost, in the letter already quoted, says that there were twelve gunboats, and the American accounts say more. Supposing the two gunboats James did not include at all to be equal respectively to one of the largest and one of the smallest of the gunboats as he gives them, Naval Occurrences, page 417, that is, one to have had thirty-five men, a long twenty-four, and a thirty-two-pound cannonade, the other twenty-five men and a thirty-two-pound cannonade, we get for Downey's force sixteen vessels of one thousand eight hundred fifty-one tons with seven hundred seventy-four men throwing at a broadside one thousand one hundred thirteen pounds of shot six hundred fifteen from long guns four hundred ninety-eight from carronades it must be remembered that so far i have merely corrected james by means of the authorities from which he draws his account the official letters of the british commanders i have not brought up a single american authority against him 
but have only made such alterations as a writer could with nothing whatever but the accounts of sir george prevost and captain pring before him to compare with james thus it is seen that according to james himself downie really had seven hundred seventy four men two macdonas eight hundred eighty two and threw in a broadside one thousand one hundred thirteen pounds of shot two macdonas one thousand one hundred ninety four pounds james says naval occurrences page four hundred ten and four hundred thirteen let it be recollected no musketry was employed on either side and the marines were of no use as the action was fought out of the range of musketry the one hundred six additional men on the part of the americans were thus not of much consequence the action being fought at anchor and there being men enough to manage the guns and perform every other duty so we need only attend to the broadside force here then downie could present at a broadside six hundred fifteen pounds of shot from long guns to macdonough's four hundred eighty and four hundred ninety eight pounds from carronades to macdonough's seven hundred and fourteen or he threw one hundred and thirty five pounds of shot more than his long guns and two hundred sixteen less from his carronades this is equivalent to downie's having seven long eighteens and one long nine and macdonough's having one twenty-four pound and a six thirty-two pound carronade a thirty-two pound carronade is not equal to a long eighteen so that even by james's own showing downie's force was slightly the superior thus far i may repeat i have corrected james solely by the evidence of his own side now i shall bring in some american authorities these do not contradict the british official letters for they virtually agree with them but they do go against james's unsupported assertions and being made by naval officers of irreproachable reputation will certainly outweigh them in the first place james asserts that on the main deck of the confiance but thirteen guns were presented in broadside two thirty-two pound carronades being thrust through the bridle and two others through the stern ports so he excludes two of her guns from the broadside such guns would have been of great use to her at certain stages of the combat and ought to be included in the force but besides this the american officers positively say that she had a broadside of fifteen guns adding these two guns and making a trifling change in the arrangement of the guns in the row galleys we get a broadside of one thousand one hundred ninety two pounds exactly as i have given it above there is no difficulty in accounting for the difference of tonnage as given by james and by the americans for we have considered the same subject in reference to the battle of lake erie james calculates the american tonnage as if for sea vessels of deep holds while as regards the british vessels he allows for the shallow holes that all the lake craft had that is he gives in one the nominal and in the other the real tonnage this fully accounts for the discrepancy it only remains to account for the difference in the number of men from james we get seven hundred seventy two 
in the first place we can reason by analogy i have already shown that as regards the battle of lake erie he is convicted by english not by american evidence of having underestimated barclay's force by about twenty five per cent if he did the same thing here the british force was over one thousand strong and i have no doubt that it was but we have other proofs on page four hundred seventeen of the naval occurrences he says the complement of the four captured british vessels amounted to four hundred twenty men of whom fifty-four were killed in action leaving three hundred sixty-six prisoners including the wounded but the report of prisoners as given by the american authorities gives three hundred sixty-nine officers and seamen unhurt or but slightly wounded fifty-seven wounded men paroled and other wounded whose number was unspecified supposing this number to have been eighty-two and adding fifty-four dead we would get in all five hundred fifty men for the four ships the number i have adopted in my list this would make the british wounded one hundred twenty-nine instead of one hundred sixteen as james says but neither the americans nor the british seem to have enumerated all their wounded in this fight taking into account all these considerations it will be seen that the figures i have given are probably approximately correct and at any rate indicate pretty closely the relative strength of the two squadrons the slight differences in tonnage and crews one hundred fifty eight tons and fifty five men in favor of the british are so trivial that they need not be taken into account and we will merely consider the broadside force an absolute weight of metal the two combatants were evenly matched almost exactly but whereas from downey's broadside of one thousand one hundred ninety two pounds six hundred sixty were from long and five hundred and thirty two from short guns of macdonough's broadside of one thousand one hundred ninety four pounds but four hundred eighty were from long and seven hundred fourteen from short pieces the forces were thus equal except that downey opposed one hundred eighty pounds from long guns to one hundred eighty two from carronades as if ten long eighteens were opposed to ten eighteen pound carronades this would make the odds on their face about ten to nine against the americans in reality they were greater for the possession of the confiance was a very great advantage the action is as regards metal the exact reverse of those between chauncey and yeo take for example the fight off burlington on september twenty eighth eighteen thirteen yeo's broadside was one thousand three hundred seventy four pounds to chauncey's one thousand two hundred and eighty eight but whereas only one hundred eighty of yeo's was from long guns of chauncey's but five hundred thirty six was from carronades chauncey's fleet was thus much the superior at least we must say this if macdonough beat merely an equal force then yeo made a most disgraceful and cowardly flight before an inferior foe but if we contend that macdonough's force was inferior 
to that of his antagonist, then we must admit that Yeo was in like manner inferior to Chauncey's. These rules work both ways. The Confiance was a heavier vessel than the Pike, presenting in broadside one long twenty-four and three thirty-two-pound carronades more than the latter. James, volume six, page three hundred fifty-five, says the Pike alone was nearly a match for Sir James Yeo's squadron. And Brenton says, volume two, page five hundred and three, the general Pike was more than a match for the whole British squadron. Neither of these writers means quite as much as he says, for the logical result would be that the Confiance alone was a match for all of Macdonough's force. Still, it is safe to say that the Pike gave Chauncey a great advantage, and that the Confiance made Downey's fleet much superior to Macdonough's. Macdonough saw that the British would be forced to make an attack in order to get control of the waters. On this long, narrow lake, the winds usually blow pretty nearly north or south, and the set of the current is of course northward. All the vessels being flat and shallow could not beat to windward well, so there was little chance of the British making the attack when there was a southerly wind blowing. So late in the season there was danger of sudden and furious gales, which would make it risky for Downey to wait outside the bay till the wind suited him. And inside the bay the wind was pretty sure to be light and baffling. Young Macdonough, then but twenty-eight years of age, calculated all these chances very coolly, and decided to await the attack at anchor in Plattsburgh Bay, with the head of his line so far to the north that it could hardly be turned, and then proceeded to make all the other preparations with the same foresight. Not only were his vessels provided with springs, but also with anchors to be used astern in any emergency. The Saratoga was further prepared for a change of wind, or for the necessity of winding ship, by having a kedge planted broad off on each of her bows, with a hawser and preventer hawser hanging in bights under water, leading from each quarter to the kedge on that side. There had not been time to train the men thoroughly at the guns, and to make these produce their full effect the constant supervision of the officers had to be exerted. The British were laboring under this same disadvantage, but neither side felt the want very much, as the smooth water, stationary position of the ships, and fair range made the fire of both sides very destructive. Plattsburgh Bay is deep, and opens to the southward, so that a wind which would enable the British to sail up the lake would force them to beat when entering the bay. The east side of the mouth of the bay is formed by Cumberland Head. The entrance is about a mile and a half across and the other boundary southwest from the head is an extensive shoal and a small low island. This is called Crab Island, and on it was a hospital, 
and one six-pounder gun which was to be manned in case of necessity by the strongest patience macdonough had anchored in a north and south line a little to the south of the outlet for the saranac and out of range of the shore batteries being two miles from the western shore the head of his line was so near cumberland head that an attempt to turn it would place the opponent under a very heavy fire while in the south the shoal prevented a flank attack the eagle lay to the north flanked on each side by a couple of gunboats then came the saratoga with three gunboats between her and the ticonderoga the next in line then came three gunboats and the preble the four large vessels were at anchor the galleys being under their sweeps and forming a second line about forty yards back some of them keeping their places and some not doing so by this arrangement his line could not be doubled upon there was not room to anchor on his broadside out of reach of his carronades and the enemy was forced to attack him by standing in bows on the morning of september eleventh opened with a light breeze from the northeast downey's fleet weighed anchor at daylight and came down the lake with the wind nearly aft the booms of the two sloops swinging out to starboard at half-past seven footnote the letters of the two commanders conflict a little as to time but absolutely and relatively pring says the action lasted two hours and three-quarters the american accounts two hours and twenty minutes pring says it began at eight o'clock macdonough says a few minutes before nine etc i take the mean time End of footnote. the people in the ships could see their adversaries upper sails across the narrow strip of land ending in cumberland head before the british doubled the latter captain downey hove to with his four large vessels when he had fairly opened the bay and waited for his galleys to overtake him then his four vessels filled on the starboard tack and headed for the american line going abreast the chub to the north heading well to windward of the eagle for whose bows the linette was headed while the confiance was to be laid athwart the hawse of the saratoga the finch was to leeward with the twelve gunboats and was to engage the rear of the american line as the british squadron stood bravely in young macdonough who feared his foes not at all but his god a great deal knelt for a moment with his officers on the quarter-deck and then ensued a few minutes of perfect quiet the men waiting with grim expectancy for the opening of the fight the eagle spoke first with her long eighteens but to no effect for the shot fell short then as the linette passed the saratoga she fired her broadside of long twelves but her shot also fell short except one that struck a hen-coop which happened to be aboard the saratoga 
there was a gamecock inside, and instead of being frightened at his sudden release, he jumped up on a gun-slide, clapped his wings, and crowed lustily. The men laughed and cheered, and immediately afterward McDonough himself fired the first shot from one of the long guns. The twenty-four-pound ball struck the confiance near the hawse hole and ranged the length of her deck, killing and wounding several men. All the American long guns now opened and were replied to by the British galleys. The confiance stood steadily on without replying, but she was baffled by shifting winds and was soon so cut up having both her port-bow anchors shot away and suffering much loss that she was obliged to port her helm and come to while still nearly a quarter of a mile distant from the saratoga captain downey came to anchor in grand style securing everything carefully before he fired a gun and then opening with a terribly destructive broadside the chub and linette stood farther in and anchored forward the eagle's beam meanwhile the finch got abreast of the ticonderoga under her sweeps supported by the gunboats the main fighting was thus to take place between the vans where the eagle saratoga and six or seven gunboats were engaged with the chub linette confiance and two or three gunboats while in the rear the ticonderoga the preble and the other american galleys engaged the finch and the remaining nine or ten english galleys the battle at the foot of the line was fought on the part of the americans to prevent their flank being turned and on the part of the british to effect that object at first the fighting was at long range but gradually the british galleys closed up firing very well the American galleys at this end of the line were chiefly the small ones, armed with one twelve-pounder apiece, and they by degrees drew back before the heavy fire of their opponents. About an hour after the discharge of the first gun had been fired, the finch closed up toward the Ticonderoga, and was completely crippled by a couple of broadside from the latter. She drifted helplessly down the line and grounded near crab island some of the convalescent patients manned the six-pounder and fired a shot or two at her when she struck nearly half of her crew being killed or wounded about the same time the british gunboats forced the preble out of line whereupon she cut her cable and drifted inshore out of the fight two or three of the british gunboats had already been sufficiently damaged by some of the shot from the ticonderoga's long guns to make them wary and the contest at this part of the line narrowed down to one between the american schooner and the remaining british gunboats who combined to make a most determined attack upon her so hastily had the squadron been fitted out that many of the matches for her guns were at the last moment found to be defective the captain of one of the divisions was a midshipman but sixteen years old hiram paulding when he found the matches to be bad 
he fired the guns of his section by having pistols flashed at them and continued this through the whole fight the ticonderoga's commander lieutenant cassin fought his schooner most nobly he kept walking the traffrail amidst showers of musketry and grape coolly watching the movements of the galleys and directing the guns to be loaded with canister and bags of bullets when the enemy tried to board the british galleys were handled with determined gallantry under the command of lieutenant bell had they driven off the ticonderoga they would have won the day for their side and they pushed up till they were not a boat hook's length distant to try to carry her by boarding but every attempt was repulsed and they were forced to draw off some of them so crippled by the slaughter they had suffered that they could hardly man the oars meanwhile the fighting at the head of the line had been even fiercer the first broadside of the confiance fired from sixteen long twenty-fours double-shotted coolly sighted in smooth water at point-blank range produced the most terrible effect on the saratoga her hull shivered all over with the shock and when the crash subsided nearly half of her people were seen stretched on deck for many had been knocked down who were not seriously hurt among the slain was her first lieutenant peter gamble he was kneeling down to sight the bow-gun when a shot entered the port split the coin and drove a portion of it against his side killing him without breaking the skin the survivors carried on the fight with undiminished energy macdonough himself worked like a common sailor in pointing and handling a favorite gun while bending over to sight it a round shot cut into the spanker boom which fell on his head and struck him senseless for two or three minutes he then leaped to his feet and continued as before when a shot took off the head of the captain of the gun and drove it in his face with such a force as to knock him to the other side of the deck but after the first broadside not so much injury was done the guns of the confiance had been levelled to point-blank range and as the coins were loosened by the successive discharges they were not properly replaced so that her broadsides kept going higher and higher and doing less and less damage very shortly after the beginning of the action her gallant captain was slain he was standing behind one of the long guns when a shot from the saratoga struck it and threw it completely off the carriage against his right groin killing him almost instantly his skin was not broken a black mark about the size of a small plate was the only visible injury his watch was found flattened with its hands pointing to the very second at which he received the fatal blow as the contest went on the fire gradually decreased in weight the guns being disabled the inexperience of both crews partly caused this the american sailors overloaded their cannonades so as to very much destroy the effect of their fire when the officers became disabled 
the men would cram the guns with shot till the last projected from the muzzle. Of course this lessened the execution, and also gradually crippled the guns. On board the Confiance the confusion was even worse. After the battle the charges of the guns were drawn, and on the side she had fought one was found with a canvas bag containing two round of shot rammed home and wadded without any powder, another with two cartridges and no shot, and a third with a wad below the cartridge. At the extreme head of the line the advantage had been with the British. The Chubb and Lynette had begun a brisk engagement with the Eagle and American gunboats. In a short time the Chubb had her cable, bowsprit, and main boom shut away, drifted within the American lines, and was taken possession of by one of the Saratoga's midshipmen. The Lynette paid no attention to the American gunboats, directing her whole fire against the Eagle, and the latter was, in addition, exposed to part of the fire of the Confiance, after keeping up a heavy fire for a long time. Her springs were shot away, and she came up into the wind, hanging so that she could not return a shot to the well-directed broadsides of the Lynette. Henley accordingly cut his cable, started home his topsails, ran down and anchored by the stern between and inshore of the Confiance and Ticonderoga, from which position he opened on the Confiance. The Lynette now directed her attention to the American gunboats, which at this end of the line were very well fought. But she soon drove them off, and then sprung her broadside so as to rake the Saratoga on her bows. MacDonough by this time had his hands full, and his fire was slackening. He was bearing the whole brunt of the action with the frigate on his beam and the brig raking him. Twice his ship had been set on fire by the hot shot of the Confiance. One by one his long guns were disabled by shot, and his carronades were either treated the same way or else rendered useless by excessive overcharging. Finally, but a single carronade was left in the starboard batteries, and on firing it, the naval bolt broke. The gun flew off the carriage and fell down the main hatch, leaving the Commodore without a single gun to oppose to the few the Confiance still presented. The battle would have been lost had not MacDonough's foresight provided the means of retrieving it. The anchor suspended astern of the Saratoga was let go, and the men hauled in on the hawser that held the starboard quarter, bringing the ship's stern up over the kedge. The ship now rode by the kedge, and by a line that had been bent to a bite in the stream cable, and she was raked badly by the accurate fire of the Lynette. By rousing on the line the ship was at length got so far round that the aftermost gun of the port broadside bore on the Confiance. The men had been sent forward to keep as much out of harm's way as possible, and now some were at once called back to man the piece, which then opened with effect. 
the next gun was treated in the same manner but the ship now hung and would go no further round the hawser leading from the port quarter was then got forward under the bows and passed aft to the starboard quarter and a minute afterward the ship's whole port battery opened with fatal effect the confiance meanwhile had also attempted to round her springs like those of the linnet were on the starboard side so of course could not be shot away as the eagles were but as she had nothing but springs to rely on her efforts did little beyond forcing her forward and she hung with her head to the wind she had lost over half of her crew footnote midshipman lee in his letter already quoted says not five men were left unhurt this would of course include bruises etc as hurts and a footnote most of her guns on the engaged side were dismounted and her stout masts had been splintered till they looked like bundles of matches her sails had been torn to rags and she was forced to strike about two hours after she had fired the first broadside without pausing a minute the saratoga again hauled on her starboard hawser till her broadside was sprung to bear on the linnet and the ship and brig began a brisk fight which the eagle from her position could take no part in while the ticonderoga was just finishing up the british galleys the shattered and disabled state of the linnet's masts sails and yards precluded the most distant hope of captain prigg's effecting his escape by cutting his cable but he kept up a most gallant fight with his greatly superior foe in hopes that some of the gunboats would come and tow him off and dispatched a lieutenant to the confiance to ascertain her state the lieutenant returned with news of captain downie's death while the british gunboats had been driven half a mile off and after having maintained the fight single-handed for fifteen minutes until from the number of shot between wind and water the water had risen a foot above her lower deck the plucky little brig hauled down her colors and the fight ended a little over two hours and a half after the first gun had been fired not one of the larger vessels had a mast that would bear canvas and the prizes were in a sinking condition the british galleys drifted to leeward none with their colors up but as the saratoga's boarding officer passed along the deck of the confiance he accidentally ran against a locking string of one of her starboard guns footnote a sufficient commentary by the way on james's assertion that the guns of the confiance had to be fired by matches as the gun locks did not fit End of footnote. and it went off this was apparently understood as a signal by the galleys and they moved slowly off pulling but a very few sweeps and not one of them hoisting an ensign on both sides the ships had been cut up in the most extraordinary manner 
the saratoga had fifty-five shot holes in her hull and the confiance one hundred five in hers and the eagle and linette had suffered in proportion the number of killed and wounded cannot be exactly stated it was probably about two hundred on the american side and over three hundred on the british footnote macdonough returned his loss as follows saratoga twenty eight killed twenty nine wounded the eagle thirteen killed twenty wounded the ticonderoga six killed six wounded the preble two killed the boxer three killed one wounded the centipede one wounded the wilma one wounded a total of fifty-two killed and fifty-eight wounded but the latter had apparently only included those who had to go to the hospital probably about ninety additional were more or less slightly wounded captain pring in his letter of september twelfth says the confiance had forty-one killed and forty wounded the linette ten killed and fourteen wounded the chub six killed and sixteen wounded the finch two wounded in all fifty-seven killed and seventy-two wounded but he adds that no opportunity has offered to muster this is the whole as yet ascertained to be killed or wounded the americans took out one hundred eighty dead and wounded from the confiance fifty from the linette and forty from the chub and finch in all two hundred seventy james naval occurrences page four hundred twelve says the confiance had eighty three wounded as captain pring wrote his letter in plattsburg bay the day after the action he of course could not give the loss aboard the british gunboats so james at once assumed that they suffered none as well as could be found out they had between fifty and one hundred killed and wounded the total british loss was between three hundred and four hundred as nearly as can be ascertained for this action as already shown james is of no use whatever compare his statements for example with those of midshipman lee in the naval chronicle the comparative loss as a means of testing the competitive prowess of the combatants is not of much consequence in this case as the weaker party in point of force conquered End of footnote. captain macdonough at once returned the british officers their swords captain pring writes i have much satisfaction in making you acquainted with the humane treatment the wounded have received from commodore macdonough they were immediately removed to his own hospital on crab island and furnished with every requisite his generous and polite attention to myself the officers and men will ever hereafter be gratefully remembered the effects of this victory were immediate and of the highest importance sir george prevost and his army at once fled in great haste and confusion back to canada leaving our northern frontier clear for the remainder of the war while the victory had a very great effect on the negotiations for peace in this battle the crews on both sides behaved with equal bravery and left nothing to be desired in this respect but from their rawness they of course showed far less skill than the crews of most of the american and some of the british ocean cruisers such as the constitution united states or shannon 
the hornet, wasp, or reindeer. Lieutenant Cason handled the Ticonderoga, and Captain Pring the Linnet, with the utmost gallantry and skill. And after Macdonough they divide the honours of the day. But Macdonough in this battle won a higher fame than any other commander of the war, British or American. He had a decidedly superior force to contend against, the officers and men of the two sides being about on a par in every respect, and it was solely owing to his foresight and resource that we won the victory. He forced the British to engage at a disadvantage by his excellent choice of position, and he prepared beforehand for every possible contingency. His personal prowess had already been shown at the cost of the rovers of Tripoli, and in this action he helped fight the guns as ably as the best sailor. His skill, seamanship, quick eye, readiness of resource, and indomitable pluck are beyond all praise. Down to the time of the Civil War he is the greatest figure in our naval history. A thoroughly religious man, he was as generous and humane as he was skilful and brave, one of the greatest of our sea captains. He has left a stainless name behind him. British loss, brig, 100 tons, 10 guns, burnt by Lieutenant Gregory Magnet, 187 tons, 12 guns, burnt by her crew. The Black Snake, 30 tons, one gun captured gunboat fifty tons two guns captured another gunboat fifty tons three guns captured the confiance one thousand two hundred tons thirty seven guns captured the linette three hundred and fifty tons sixteen guns captured the chub a hundred and twelve tons eleven guns captured the finch a hundred and ten tons eleven guns captured total of nine vessels two thousand one hundred and eighty nine tons one hundred and three guns the american loss the growler eighty one tons seven guns captured a boat fifty tons two guns captured tigress ninety six tons one gun captured scorpion eighty six tons two guns captured the ohio ninety four tons one gun captured the somers ninety eight tons two guns captured for a total of six vessels five hundred and five tons fifteen guns end of part sixteen